Mysterious-ish contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. love spooky season yeah it's spooky season hey listeners you got like spooky stories for us fucking send them to us send it send it please i want to read your spooky stories i love spooky stories spook spook erica you got a spook spook story i do Ah, we're talking about about lizzie borden fuck yeah all right, so Lizzie Andrew Borden. Can I just say that? Her I think, middle name is Andrew. Isn't that kind of cute, though? Lizzie Andrew. Lizzie Andy. Stop. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born? Was born July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. Fall River. To Sarah Anthony Borden and Andrew Jackson Borden. Her mom's middle name was even, like, Anthony. Sarah Anthony. You know, I almost wonder if it was traditional for, because Lizzie was the firstborn, so I wonder if it's almost traditional for the firstborn child to get the father's name as their middle name. Interesting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Weird times. Mm. Wild times. Andrew was a descent of English and Welsh. He grew up in a very modest surrounding and struggled financially, despite being the descendant of a wealthy and influential local resident. He soon went into manufacturing and sale of furniture and caskets, then became... (laughs) Stop. That's ironic. (laughs) For more than one reason that we'll address later. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Then became a Mm -hmm. successful property developer. He was a director of several text mills and owned a ton of commercial property. He was also the president of the Union Savings Bank and a director of the Durkee Safe Deposit and Trust Co. When he died, his estate was valued at 300000 which is equivalent to $9,630,000 in 2022. Yeet! Damn, Lizzie! Get a girl. Lizzie and her older sister Emma had a relatively religious upbringing and attended Central Congregation. Congregational? Mm-hmm. Congregational. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> church. Uh, as a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities, one including teaching Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the U.S. She was also involved in religious organizations such as the Christian Endeavor Society. She was a secretary treasurer. Uh, she was also in the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the Ladies Fruit and Flower Mission. She's a busy girl. Yeah, she was in a lot, too. Three years after Lizzie's mother's death, uh, Andrew married Abby Durfee or something. Durfee? (laughs) Well, her last name's Gray, so that's a weird middle name. Lizzie stated that she called her stepmother Mrs. Borden. (coughs) She also believed Abby only married her father for his wealth. (laughs) Lol, talk about power move. (laughs) Mrs. Borden. Mrs. Borden. (laughs) 
Bridget Sullivan, they called her Maggie, uh, was their live-in maid who was 25. Mm, why wow. do they call her Maggie if her I name don't know. is Bridget, sir? <laughs> That's not how that works. She immigrated to the U.S. from Ireland. In May of 1892, Andrew killed multiple pigeons in his barn with a hatchet, believing they were attracting local children to hunt them. Lizzie had recently built a roost for the pigeons, and she had voiced many times how it upset her that he was killing them. Yeah, don't kill my birds, bitch. July of 1892, a family argument happened, and it caused the two sisters to go on an extended vacation in New Bedford. Just, (laughs) Just bye. When they returned to Fall River a week before the murders, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for four days before returning to the family home. Tension began growing in the Borden family in the months before the murders, especially over Andrew's gifts of real estate to various branches of Abby's family. When their stepmother's sister got the house, the sisters demanded and received a rental property, which they purchased from their father for a dollar. <laughs> That's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Her family gets it for free, but my daughters know mm. that those bitches gotta pay. Sometime later, they sold the property back to their father for 5000 which was equivalent to 151000 today. The night before the murders, John Morse, Lizzie's uncle on her mother's side, visited and was invited to stay for a few days to discuss business matters with Andrew. Some writers believe that there was a conversation about property transfer and it may have added more to the aggravation in the home. Several days before the murders, the whole house was sick. A family friend later thought it was because of the mutton that was left on the stove that they ate over the next few days. Yeah, that's a theory. The fact that they were all sick. But Abby feared that it was poison since Mm -hmm. Andrew was not a popular man. Yikes! Except for it probably was poison from not someone outside the house. So Mm. (laughs) the call's coming from inside the house. Sir. John Morris arrived the evening of August 3rd, 1892. He slept in the guest room that night. After breakfast that morning, where the whole house was present, Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, John, and Maggie were all at the table. Uh, John left around 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece in Fall River. I'm sorry, he's just buying oxen? Like, the animals? Like, oxen? Sure, whatever, John! (laughs) (laughs) And was planning to return to the Borden home for lunch at noon. Andrew also left that morning, sometime after 9, for his morning walk. Cleaning the guest bedroom was one of Lizzie and Emma's regular chores, but Abby went upstairs between 9 and 10.30 a.m. to make the bed. According to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above her ear, causing her to fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. The killer then hit her multiple times, delivering 17 more hits to the back of her head. Yikes! 17? 17. Bro, whoever did this needs to chill the fuck out. With a hatchet? Mad. <gasps> Sir. Sir. <laughs> Ma'am. <laughs> Perpetrator. <laughs> Andrew returned around 10.30 a.m. His key didn't seem to work to unlock the door, so he knocked. Maggie went and unlocked the door, finding it jammed. Maggie later testified that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after this. She didn't see Lizzie, but said she heard the laughter at the top of the stairs. Stop! I hate that! That is terrifying! (laughs) This information was considered significant as Abby was already dead by this time. 
and her body would have been seen by anyone on the second floor. Lizzie later denied being upstairs and testified that her father had asked her where Abby was, to which she replied that a messenger had delivered Abby a summons to visit a sick friend. Oh, I'm mm. sure she did, Lizzie. I'm sure she did. Mm. Maggie said she removed Andrew's boots and helped him into his slippers before he laid down on the sofa for, for a nap. Mm. A detailed contradicted by the crime scene photos, which saw show Andrew wearing boots, by the way. Oh, <clears throat> Maggie. and <laughs> Someone's telling the truth or someone's not telling the truth. Mm-mm. And it sure ain't the boots. Woo. Maggie informed Lizzie of a department store sale. Lizzie said Maggie was welcome to come along with her, but Maggie felt unwell and went to take a nap in her room instead. Maggie testified that she was on the third floor in her room resting from cleaning the windows when just before 11:10 a.m. she heard Lizzie call from downstairs. Maggie, come quick, father's dead. Someone came in and killed him. Okay. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. There are so many theories about this, but that is the sketchiest fucking thing anyone has ever said. Ever. Father is dead. Someone came in and killed him. Yeah. I'm sure. Mm. I'm sure, honey. I'm sure. Andrew was slumped on the couch in the downstairs sitting room, struck 10, maybe 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyes had been split cleanly in two, (laughs) suggesting that he had been sleeping when attacked. His still-bleeding wounds suggested that the attack was very recent. Dr. Bowen, who was a family's physician, arrived from his home across the street and pronounced both victims dead. Detectives estimated Andrew's death happened around 11 a.m. Big ol' oof. Mm. Lizzie's initial answers to the officer's questions were at times strange. Initially, she reported that she heard a groan or a scraping noise or a distressed call before she entered the house. Okay, those are three very different things. A dis- you would know if it was someone like, help, versus Please like a, me. yeah, sir, <laughs> ma'am. Two hours later, she told the police she had heard nothing and entered the house not realizing that anything was wrong. Bullshit. When asked where her stepmother was, she recounted Abby receiving a note asking her to visit a sick friend. Okay, prove it. Where's the note? Mm. Give me the note, bitch. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. Okay, that's us. Mm. (laughs) Ma'am. (laughs) Ma'am. Maggie and a neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, were halfway up the stairs... Their eyes leveled with the floor, and they looked into the guest room and saw Abby lying face down on the floor. So they're not even all the way up the stairs, and they're like, oh, body. Yeah. D-E-D dead. (laughs) D-E-D. Right there. Jesus Christ. And Lizzie's like, someone go check on Abby. Where is Abby? Even though she's supposed to be with her sick friend. Uh. Okay. (laughs) Ma'am. Can we get a can we get a ma'am counter on this episode? Wait, listen. What we should invest in a button so every <laughs> time we press it, it's ma'am, <laughs> ma'am. <laughs> I mean, they do sell those dog buttons. The doggies can press, you know. To oh press. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should get one of those. Bet. Then we can just set it in the middle. Just go, ma'am, <laughs> ma'am. But I love that. <laughs> we actually, we need a ma'am and a sir. A ma'am and a sir. Bet, bet. <laughs> I like that. Instead of just buying a soundboard, we're just going to buy these fucking oh my God. Yeah, because we'll be unique. <laughs> Fuck them. Most of the officers who interviewed Lizzie said they disliked her attitude. 
Some said she was too calm and poised. Despite her attitude and changing alibis, nobody bothered to check for bloodstains. Police searched her room, but at the trial, they admitted to not doing a proper search because Lizzie was not feeling well. So they intentionally botched it because there are two murders in the house and they were just like, oh, she doesn't feel good. Let's not search her room and see if she potentially has the murder weapon under her pillow, sir. They were subsequently criticized for their lack of diligence. In the basement, police found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. Yikes. The hatchet head was suspected to be the murder weapon as the break in the handle seemed to be fresh and the ash and dust on the head. Unlike that, on the other bladed tools appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look like it had been in the basement for some time. Because of the mysterious illness they all had, the family's milk along with Abby's and Andrew's stomachs were tested for poison during the autopsies. (laughs) There was none found. Residents suspected uh, that Lizzie purchased hydrodynamic acid in a diluted form from the local drugstore. Her defense was that she inquired about the acid in order to clean her furs. (laughs) I need this acid to clean my furs. My furs. Clean my furs. Lizzie and Emma's friend, Alice Russell, decided to stay with them the night following the murders, while John spent the night in the attic guest room. Police were stationed around the house on the night of August 4th, during which an officer said he had seen Lizzie enter the cellar with Alice, carrying a kerosene lamp and a slop pail. The officer stated he saw both of the girls exit the cellar, Later, Lizzie returned alone, but the officer was not able to see what she was doing. He said it looked like she was bent over the sink. Do you want to know that theory? Yeah. That theory is that Alice and Lizzie were fucking. (gasps) That Lizzie was a lesbian. August 5th, John left the house and was mobbed by hundreds of people. Police had to escort him back into the house. Oh, John. Yes. August 6th, police... Uh, contacted a thorough search, conducted a thorough search of the house, inspecting the sister's clothing and confiscating the broke handle hatch ahead. That evening, a police officer and the mayor... Why the fuck didn't they take the, the, the broken axe when they first showed up at the house when he was dead? Yes. Why didn't they... Okay, whatever. That evening, a police officer and the mayor paid a visit to the Borden's home, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect in the murders. The next morning, Alice entered the kitchen and found Lizzie tearing up a dress. Lizzie explained that she was planning to put it in the fire because it was covered in paint. Of course. Yeah, uh paint Mm. this dress is covered in 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 paint Mm -hmm. and i was conveniently wearing it yesterday during the time of my father and stepmother's murders paint (laughs) (laughs) it was determined whether uh it was the dress she had been wearing on the day of the murders it was it was sir (laughs) take the dress don't let her cut it up and put it in the fire it's not paint it's not paint what the fuck was she painting Lizzie appeared at the inquest hearing on August 8th. Her request to have her family attorney present was refused under a state statute, providing that an inquest must be held in private. Lizzie had been prescribed a regular dose of morphine to calm her nerves, and it's possible her testimony was affected by this. The 1890s, when you could just get morphine from a fucking pharmacy. Fuck it. And then everyone, (laughs) everyone had to fuck it up. 
<laughs> no shit. <laughs> Rude. God. Her behavior was erratic. She often refused to answer a question, even if the answer would have been beneficial for her. She often contradicted herself and provided alternating accounts of the morning in question, such as saying she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, then saying she was in the dining room doing some ironing, and then saying she was coming down the stairs. She also said she removed her father's boots and put slippers on him, while the photographs show him still wearing his boots. Sir, ma'am. The district attorney was very aggressive and confrontational. On August 11th, Lizzie was served with a warrant of her arrest, and she was jailed shortly after. The inquest testimony, the modern debate regarding her guilt or innocence, it was later ruled inadmissible at her trial in June 1893. Newspaper articles noted that Lizzie possessed a stolid demeanor and bit her lips flushed and bent towards attorney Adams. It was also reported that the testimony provided the inquest had caused a change of opinion among her friends who have strongly maintained her innocence. Turn it against her. The inquest received so much press attention nationwide, including a three-page article in the Boston Globe. Grand jury began a hearing evidence on November 7th, and Lizzie was indicted on December 2nd. Lizzie's trial took place in New Bedford on June 5th, 1893. Five days before the trial, another axe murder happened in Fall River on June 1st. The victim was Bertha Manchester, who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. Yikes! The similarities between Bertha and the Borden's murders were striking and noted by the jurors. However, Jose Correa de Mello was later convicted of Bertha's murder in 1894 and was determined not to have been in the vicinity of Fall River during the time of the Borden's murders. Oh, okay. Lizzie's presence at the home was brought up during the trial. According to testimony, Alice went to the second floor of the home around 10.58 a.m. and left Lizzie and her father downstairs. Lizzie told several people that during this time she went to the barn and wasn't in the house for 20 to 30 minutes. Hyman... Lubinsky testified for the defense that he saw Lizzie leaving the barn around 11.03 a.m. and Charles Gardner confirmed that time as well. Around 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Maggie downstairs and told her, you know, Andrew was murdered Mm -hmm. and ordered her to not enter the room. Instead, Lizzie sent her to get a doctor. Both of the victims' heads were removed during autopsy. Uh, Their skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial and presented on June 5th, 1893. Yikes, they're showing these skulls in the trial. Trials, listen, if you're a fucking on a jury for a murder trial, you're gonna see some shit. Like... When seeing them in the courtroom, Lizzie fainted. Evidence was excluded that Lizzie had looked to purchase prusic acid. Sure, acid. For cleaning a silkskin cloak. The judge ruled that the incident was too remote in the time to have any connection to the murders. Justin Dewey, who was the associate justice uh, guy, delivered a lengthy summary that supported the defense as his charge to the jury before it was sent to deliberate on June 20th, 1893. After an hour and a half, the jury acquitted Lizzie Borden of the murders. When Lizzie was leaving the courthouse, she <coughs> told reporters that she was the happiest woman in the world. Although Lizzie was acquitted at the trial, she still remains the prime suspect in Andrew and Abby's murders. 
Victoria Lincoln, who was a writer in 1967, proposed that Lizzie might have committed the murders while in a fugue state. Others suggest that she was physically and sexually abused by her father, which drove her to kill him. Okay. Okay. Ah, my Author Evan Hunter wrote a novel in uh, 1984, Lizzie, and he suggested that Lizzie committed the murders after being caught in romantic relation with Maggie. Boom! There she is. Saying how Abby caught Maggie and Lizzie together and reacted in a horror and disgusted way and killed Abby with a candlestick. When Andrew returned, Lizzie confessed everything to him, but killed him in rage with a hatchet when he uh, reacted the same way Abby did. Okay, so if that's the case, then why would Maggie say that she heard Lizzie's laughter, which would, like, implicate Lizzie? You know what I mean? Because would you want to be caught up in that drama? Would you want to be caught up? Exactly. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Others say Maggie could have murdered them. Okay. Saying she could have just... Saying she could have just simply been tired of her job, and it was a very hot day that day of the murders. Well, so and she was complaining about feeling sick. Yeah, and so maybe she got angry that she had to clean the windows, you know, because she wasn't <laughs> feeling good. Windows. Exactly. After the trial, Lizzie and her sister moved into a large house in the Hill neighborhood of Fall River. Around this time, Lizzie began using the name <laughs> Elizabeth Borden. At the house, they had a full staff, living maids, a housekeeper, and a coachman. Because Abby was ruled to have died before Andrew, her estate went to him first, and then because of his death, it was passed to the daughters. Yes, I know that. So that that's like a theory that that's a that's the loophole that that Lizzie did intentionally, oh. like that she planned to kill Abby first. Because I think if Andrew had died first, then Abby's estate would have gone to Abby's parents or siblings or whatever mm-hmm. i don't think abby had kids so yeah if she did there was nothing mentioned right so there's a theory that 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 lizzie did that intentionally because that's fucking smart very smart. smart uh lizzie fell ill after having her gallbladder removed and died of pneumonia june 1st 1927 yikes poor lizzie funeral details were not published and few attended right Nine days later, her sister Emma died from chronic nephritis. Sounds like nephritis to me. Beautiful. In a nursing home. At Lizzie's time of death, she was worth over 250000 which is about $5,233,000 in 2022. She owned a house on the corner of French Street and Belmont Street. Several office buildings, shares in several util- uh, utilities, two cars, and a large amount of jewelry. She left 30000 to the local animal rescue and 500 for someone to upkeep her father's grave. Oh, that's, that's yeah. either kind of sweet or kind of fucked up. You know. <laughs> Sorry, you Dad. Know. It had to be done. <laughs> oh, shit. Her closest friend and cousin each received 6000 Aw. Yeah, and then I didn't put it in here, but I think, like, every, every friend... And then every like family member got a thousand. Damn. So yeah. She so she like shared the generous. money. Yeah. Um. Can we talk about the rhyme? The rhyme. The rhyme. The rhyme. So after she moved, after Lizzie and Emma moved to that house, there was a rhyme that children, like small children, would like skip down the road and and sing in front of 
Lizzie in Emma's house, like taunting the fuck out of Lizzie. It's Lizzie Borden took an axe. I guess I don't know how what the rhythm is, but Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Oh, you never heard? No. Never heard? It's a jump rope song, I suppose. Oh. But yeah, that's fucking Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've heard a lot of, like, devil's advocating stories where, like, maybe it wasn't her, but I sort of lean towards it was. Yeah. What do you think? I, I honestly, I really don't know. To me, there's like, like, yeah, it's all kind of sus, but like, I don't know. I just find it kind of shocking that like, because if Abby was killed like an hour and a half, two hours before Andrew was, what? What'd you say? Wasn't she killed like an hour and a half or two hours before Andrew? Or was it like, I don't know. But like. I don't know. I think yeah, was... yeah, 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 because it was, like, between 9 and 10.30, and then, I, like, it was around 11 for him. Right, 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 So, if, if there was someone in there, like, if she got killed at 9 o'clock, and then Andrew didn't get killed till 11, then, like, what was whoever it was that broke into the house mm-hmm. doing in those two hours, and why didn't Lizzie, Emma, and Maggie get hit, too? And Alice. It's kind of sus, Lizzie. I'm not going to lie. I kind of leaned towards it was you, and I'm sorry. Like, from the grave, I'm sorry, ma'am. <laughs> um, there's also the Lizzie Borden house that you can go and visit, and you can sit on the couch that Andrew was... Slumped on, you know. Murdered on. <laughs> that he got dead on. Um, I don't, I don't recommend that. I feel like there would be... We were talking about energy so much the other day. I feel like... There would be an intense amount of heavy energy on that couch. I feel like I couldn't do it. Right, yeah. I'm not. A, I'm also just not interested in sitting somewhere someone was murdered, so thanks. <laughs> I'm all good. I'm all good. That was a good one. That's always one of, that's, I mean, it's a classic. It's a classic story. Mm-hmm. So it's a good one. Shout out to Luke, because he gave me that idea too. Thanks, He's- Luke. Hey, listeners, why don't you let us know? Do you think Lizzie Borden did it or do you think she's innocent? Let us know. Hit us up. Send us your spooky stories. We want them. We're going to give you a Halloween special episode and we want some spooky stories. Mm -hmm. Spook, spook. Well, spook, spook. I have to go retrieve my demon because she's crying. So, and also, I'm starving. So. Me too. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Goodbye forever. Thank you for listening to Mysterious Ish. All episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Follow us on social